The book of Ruth ends, uh, begins on a very sad, dark um, note of great suffering. As last week we covered Naomi's story. She was with her husband Elimelech and her two boys in Bethlehem. And because of the famine, Elimelech thought he would rescue the family from death as they moved to Moab where he died. Then her two boys married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And then 10 years later, the boys died. They left Bethlehem to avoid death. And they ended up dying in a foreign country. Yet God is not absent from this book. Even though it begins on a note of great suffering, his fingerprints are, are all over this book. And we learned last week that he is completely sovereign and in control and absolutely loving and caring and kind to his people. And at the front end of the book, when you watch that video, it's, it's hard to understand how God's sovereignty and his love are, are going to play out but when we are done with this book in a few weeks, you will see that the conclusion is amazing. But today we're going to make a shift from Naomi's story to Ruth's story. And I don't think it's a stretch to say what we're going to look at this morning is Ruth's conversion. And I don't want to over-spiritualize the story of Ruth, but I think there are some real similarities between the radical commitment of Ruth and her conversion and the radical commitment in those who follow Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you've thought about it recently, but it is, it really is a radical decision when you choose to follow Jesus. And really, you might not have thought about it recently, and I'm hoping as we study Ruth you'll see just how radical the decision to follow Jesus is. But I don't just want us to look at the radical faith and the noble character of Ruth. Behind this radical faith is a radical call of God. And I'm going to speak about the call of God over and over again this morning and how it is a radical call of God. And I'm kind of going around this concept of call. And when I'm talking about the call of God for believers, the idea is we hear the gospel call, the good news of Jesus, and somehow God works in our hearts through the Holy Spirit to awaken us to this summons. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the call of God, where we hear the gospel call, but somehow God is also working in our heart, and so we have a radical call, and in response to the radical call of God is radical faith. We're going to see it in the Old Testament and talk about what it means as followers of Jesus. And I just want to say, as we begin, there are some of you here this morning who, who have yet to, I don't know how you want to say it, have yet to cross that line of faith but you're right there on that line. And the call of God is just going to hit you. And, and I, I believe that for some of you today, that call of God is just going to, in a sense, awaken you where you will cross that line of faith today. Like, for real. I really believe that for some of you. You're right there. But today, just gonna, the call of God is going to push you over. So let's see this radical call and this radical faith in the book of Ruth. 
Old Testament style conversion. Let's go. Start with verse 6. I'll do some little backtracking here. I know everybody wasn't here last week. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. God has provided food in Bethlehem, so they're leaving Moab. These three women are journeying to the homeland of Naomi. Now, I just want you to get this. Since Ruth's husband and Orpah's husbands have died, they have no social or family obligation to Naomi whatsoever. They have no obligation to her, but they choose to go back with her to a foreign land. But there's nothing she can offer them. She can't give them husbands. She can't give them sons. But out of compassion for their mother-in-law, they pick up from Moab and they go to care for Naomi in her homeland. Big sacrifice. Go to verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. She's like, you know, I appreciate your heart. I appreciate you want to care for me, this great sacrifice. But in all honesty, Naomi wants them to go back. She sends them with a blessing, go get married, go have some babies. There's a lot of crying, a lot of hugging. But she understands in the best interest of the girls, they need to go back to Moab. Verse 10. And they said to her, no. We will return with you to your people. And Naomi is done playing nice. She takes off the gloves. She's like, come here. I'm about to go off on you. You need to listen to me. But Naomi said, verse 11, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husband? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. You see that? God... Naomi is saying that God's hand, you see that, has struck her and she has nothing to offer them. She's like, come on, ladies, if I got married tonight and I got pregnant and they just happen to be boys, are you going to wait till they grow up to marry them? No, that's ridiculous. I have nothing to offer you. And the only thing I have to offer you is suffering. That's, that's something I have to offer you. Nothing plus suffering. Now, I want to make sure you get this before we jump into the, stu- the story here. Because you're not going to understand that the magnificence of this unless you get it. Naomi says, I have nothing to offer you but suffering. All, all the kids in here, I, I, I love it that we have a lot of kids in here. And I think the young kids get this. I mean, it's really easy, okay? Put it to you like this. Would you like to have a bowl full of ice cream... Or just a bowl 
Now, what Naomi is saying is, come to my ice cream shop, and I'm going to give you a bowl full of tacks, glass, and nails. Does that sound yummy? She's like, get out of here. Go to the other ice cream shops that really offer ice cream. You come to mine, you're going to suffer. The adults get this in here. Would you rather have your car filled with gas or with nothing? If Naomi opened a gas station, she would say, come to my gas station and I'll fill your car up with dirty lake water. That's how encouraging Naomi is. She's saying, not only do I have nothing to offer you, but I have nothing plus suffering. Do you get that? It it seems like the decision here is a no-brainer. The choice is clear. Going with Naomi, complete misery. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. I mean, Naomi obviously was persuasive enough to send Orpah packing. Here's Orpah. She's like, okay, widowhood and childlessness with Naomi, marriage and children in Moab. Nothing plus suffering with Naomi, happiness and prosperity in Moab. The choice is clear for Orpah. But it says this strange phrase, Ruth clung to her. And the the meaning of this word is not the idea, I'm going to go with you a little further and we're going to see how this unfolds. And then maybe after a while, I'm going to be out of here. But this is like saying, no, I'm, I'm coming with you, Naomi. I'm all in with you until the end. Two opposite choices. Orpah, Ruth. Think about it. Let's think about these two choices. Look at verse 15. And she said, that's Naomi, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Come on. Naomi is a terrible evangelist. Seriously. Go back to your people and to your gods. It's like people coming in here, I'll say, Come on, have you checked out the mosque or the Baha'i temple? Go, go check those out. Terrible evangelist. She believes that Orpah has this set this wise standard for, for Ruth to follow. And you, you got to admit, Orpah makes the natural decision. She goes back to her own peeper, people, her own God. And, and it makes sense to, for her to go back to what she's familiar with. It's her culture. She socially knows the customs. And she has a, a religious affiliation and affections for her gods. And if Orpah came in for counseling, career counseling, uh, mental health counseling, whatever type of counseling, they would say, this is a very good decision you're making. We affirm that. Good job. Go back to Moab. You'll be much happier there. And you know, the, the author of Ruth doesn't go on and on, and he doesn't even say on how terrible Orpah's decision was to, to go back. He's just presenting it as the normal decision that most people under these circumstances would have made. I want to make sure you really get this. It is natural for human beings, sinful human beings, 
spiritually dead human beings, it is natural for people not to follow Jesus. It it really does make sense to follow the course of this world. It, It makes sense that if I have bodily passions and desires to, to follow those. If I have thoughts in my mind of things I want to do, it makes sense in my natural man to, to follow those. And I know I'm speaking to Christians, but I'm trying to get you to think, think kind of different like what would life be like before you were a Christian. It, it, it is not within the wisdom of this age to boast in a crucified Savior. That does not make sense. It does not make sense for, to turn from your own will and totally submit to another. That does not make sense. It does not make sense to forsake all and suffer for the sake of Jesus. That does not make sense. Do you even understand what Jesus is calling us to? It, it sounds crazy to the natural man. Let me put up this verse for you. It's in Luke 14.33. Luke 14.33. This does not make sense. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Yeah, won't you sign me up for that? Really, come on. In our natural selves, dead in our trespasses and sins, we would never say, you know, Christianity real sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a good deal. Yeah, renounce all. That's, that's, that's crazy. And, and if Ruth went to go see a, a career counselor, uh, 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 just a counselor to give her some advice on her life, the counselor would say, okay, Ruth, let's diagram it. Let's write out the pluses and minuses of your two decisions. So if a counselor would do this, a good counselor would say, okay, on the one hand, you can go back to Moab, back to the people you're comfortable with, back to your old gods, hopefully get married, have babies, and be happy. Or, on the other hand, you can cling to your old cranky mother-in-law. You can live in a foreign country. You can associate with strange people who are traditionally our enemies. And you can follow the Lord who doesn't seem to have a very good track record because your mother-in-law keeps on saying how he wrecked her life. I mean, come on. I mean, come on. Make it a pick. Does it make sense? Ruth's like, I picked picked the one with Naomi. Are you kidding me? Look at verse 16. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Are you serious? That is radical faith. But behind that radical faith, and I'm going to make this argument, is the radical call of God. And you're like, call him pastor. I don't see nothing in the text talking about a call of God. Nothing. But you see how the book of Ruth operates? It has God's fingerprints all over it. God is ordaining events. God is changing hearts. God is moving people here, putting them there. He has a plan that he is working out. I mean, it spells it out clear in the New Testament. We come to the book of Acts, 
in the book of Acts in the New Testament, there's this woman named Lydia, and she's hearing the gospel from Paul. And you know what it says? It said, God opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And even though we don't have it stated here, what we are singing, seeing is the fingerprints of God as he is opening the heart of Ruth. He is saving a foreigner. He's bringing her into the people of God. And, and yes, I totally understand this is radical faith. I totally understand this is a, a noble decision for Ruth. But this is God's plan. Because very soon, you will see at the end of the book, if you cheat it and, and read ahead, you, you, you will see that Ruth's descendants are in the line of the Messiah. And our Messiah is Jesus Christ. This is God's plan in, in calling her and summoning her. And I, I would argue the same happens for a believer. If you are a believer... God supernaturally awakened you with this call. Supernaturally. It was a summons. Let me give you a, a couple of verses. Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me read this one to you in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Let me read this to you. I'll put it up there for you. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. When we were dead in sins... I don't know if you remember that time, but we were dead in our sins and our trespasses against all worldly wisdom. wisdom. We responded to faith in Jesus with, with radical faith. And I'm going to say that, that you responded because behind your faith was a radical call of God. He did a work in your life. The idea is not that you were thrown down a well... You're at the bottom of the well in your sin and then God like sticks the rope down of the gospel and you're looking up at that rope and you're like, this seems like a good idea. I'm going to grab that rope by faith and then God's going to pull me up and it's going to be like, God did his part, I did my part. The Bible consistently says, you're at the bottom of that well, face down, dead. You contributed nothing except for sin. Do you understand how salvation is such a work of grace? The Bible consistently tells us that God reached out when we were dead and made us alive. It is a supernatural work of grace that we are saved. Supernatural, powerful work. I really want to stress the idea of inability. Because if we stress the idea of inability, then we just totally say the grace of God, I am saved. Now, 
all the Calvinists love that, right? If you don't know anything about that, that's fine. But Calvinists love that message, and I firmly believe it. But I'm going to say something else. Though it's a total work of God, there is an appeal consistently throughout the Bible to your mind and to your heart to repent, to believe. And so there's both supernatural work of God of grace and also calling for a radical faith. Okay, so I guess we're seeing the divine viewpoint of the work of God, but we're talking right here, right now, right? So I'm going to appeal to your mind and to your heart is what the gospel does. I'm going to appeal to you to repent and believe. And now I want you to watch just how radical this faith really plays out. It's amazing. Watch how radical Ruth's faith is. But behind it, radical call of God. All right, you with me? All right, here we go. Now, this is typically wet, uh, read at weddings. How many of you have had this read at your wedding? All right, some of you had it read at your wedding. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, it's about a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. But it's okay. You can use it at your wedding, okay? It's not, not terrible. All right, it's not terrible. I think it's a great idea. I'm just telling you. Mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. Verse 16. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. So wherever Naomi goes throughout the rest of her life, Ruth's like, I'm going to be right by your side. Look what else she says. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Oh, oh, there's the change. Stark contrast to Orpah. Orpah goes back to her people, goes back to her God, the God of Chemosh, who, who takes human sacrifice, and Ruth switches. That's what repentance is. It's like, I'm going this direction, turn around, I'm going that way. And she not only takes on a, a, a people with a different uh, nationality, so she has a, a different national commitment, but she also has a new religious affection. Her religious affection is now for the Lord. No longer is she going to pursue the gods of Moab, but she claims the Lord is her God. Naomi's God is now Ruth's God, and her commitment is total, and it is radical. And I would say that just as Ruth has made this switch, that's the call that Jesus is asking. He, he doesn't leave this option of kind of going back to Moab, dabbling in Bethlehem. He calls for this total radical change. Let me put some verses up for you. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's pretty strong language, right? He's making a rhetorical argument here that if you want to follow him, there must be no greater loves in your life besides him. And the idea is not hate. It's, a, it's, it's, the, it's the idea of loving more than. As we see in another gospel, uh, Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so if your parents are messing with you, chastising you because you're a believer, or even for some of you adults, maybe your kids are 
talking bad about you, being converted to Jesus. It's like the opinions of man or God. That's what Jesus is saying. You're going to follow me? You're going to follow man. But there's great reward in following Jesus and making this sacrifice on this earth. Matthew 19, 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. We're talking about life after death. And that's kind of the commitment that Ruth is shooting for. Look at verse 17 of Ruth chapter 1. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth's like, I'm going to come back to you to uh, Bethlehem and then I'm just going to wait for you to die. And then when I die, I'm going to go back to Moab. Nope. I'm going to stay there. And she doesn't say, and then when I die and you stick me in the ground, don't stick me in that ground in Bethlehem. Ship my body back to Moab. She doesn't say that. Because where you die, I'm going to die. Where you're buried, bury me. I mean, she doesn't have a full concept of the, of the afterlife in, in this, this context, but, but she's experiencing it now with great joy. And she makes this, this commitment as she pronounces a curse upon herself if anything but death separates the two. That is just a radical, radical faith. Verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. She stopped trying to talk her out of it. She sees that Ruth is serious. She sees that Ruth has made this radical, total, and complete commitment just like the followers of Jesus. When you decide to follow Christ, you're in. And you're in all the way. And Jesus, he he really leaves no other option. He doesn't leave the option of coming in for a little bit and then just kind of taking a time out. He's like, you're in all the way. Listen to these, these callings of Christ in Luke. Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62. Look at this. People are following him. Crowds are following him. And As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Not true. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But I'm homeless. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 59. To another he said, Hey, follow me. But he said, Oh, Lord, let me go and and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said unto him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When God places a radical call and a radical summons on your life, it will express itself in radical faith. There will be no excuses of pursuing comfort or family commitments over the call of Christ. And I really believe, as I said earlier, that some of you are right up there to that line of faith 
God has placed a call upon your life. You cannot explain it. There's been some stirrings within you. Maybe you've not shared them with anybody. Maybe people already think you're a Christian, but you've not expressed it or you've only given lip service to it. But something is going on in your life. And to your parents or to your kids and to your friends, it would not make sense why you should follow Jesus. And even to yourself a few weeks ago, it did not make sense on why you would follow Jesus. But it's time for you to move forward and follow in Christ. It's time for the indecisiveness to end. It's time for you to decide, I'm going back to Moab or I'm going to follow Christ. There is a call in your life. And for some of you, this call is so strong that going back to Moab is absolutely no option. The the, the road is very broad that leads to destruction. That's where most are going. It's narrow that leads to eternal life. Very few enter. If you follow the life of Jesus, he has crowds following him, but they sure dwindle quickly. There was a time when Jesus had all these people following him and he started making these hard teachings about eating his flesh and and drinking his blood. And and you know what started happening? The crowd started thinning. And he turned to his 12 disciples and he said, what are you still doing here? Aren't you going to go with the crowds? And, And I want you to see what they said. This is in John 6, 67 and 69. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Today is the day for some of you to respond with that radical faith. That call is there. God has been stirring you, awakening you. He's been showing you your sin like never before. He's been showing you your need for a Savior like never before. It's like you can't explain it. You can barely sit there right now. God has a call on your life. Today is a day to repent and believe and cross that line of faith. But I can't ignore the fact that this radical decision plays out in the lives of Christians over and over again. I just want to have a brief time one-on-one with you right now. A little, little counseling moment. The idea is not that we believe radical faith at the beginning and then we take the reins, right? The idea is, no, I believe now I'm on this fantastic journey of following Jesus and I'm going to go wherever he leads me. So the first step is very radical, but there are radical steps after that in trusting him. Don't you wish sometimes that God would give you an audible voice and tell you what to do next? Don't you wish he would say, Move here, marry her, take that job. I mean, for real, who wants that? Yeah, 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 me too. Do you see that's what makes Ruth's faith so radical? Some would even argue that her faith is greater than Abraham. Because Abraham, God's like talking to him, giving him promises and setting him on his way. 
What's Ruth doing? She's just, just nothing. She knows the stories probably of the past, but she's just, just stepping out there. And when God's stirring you in your life, you may be waiting for this audible voice. Let me know when it comes. Probably not going to come. I don't know. I'm not limiting God, but probably not. But there is going to be this stirring. It's hard to explain, right? This stirring in you in line with the Word of God. It's not going to contradict God's Word. Some of you are making decisions, contradicts His Word. No, 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 it's not from God. But in line with His Word. Other people in your life who are Christians will say, yeah, that, that seems right. That seems like the right move for you. It seems like you should go that direction. And, and then it's going to be confirmed with your talents and your gifts. And maybe that the door is going to kind of be open so you can, you can walk through it. I would say the number one decision I see people make right now in our church is where they're going to live. Like a move. Like I said, let's do an altar call for all of you who are moving. This place will be packed up here. So many of you are moving. I keep having those conversations. People are moving. A guy came to the office this, this past week. And, of course, what's he doing? Moving. I didn't know this. He said, yeah, my wife and I feel that we should just pack up and leave next month. I'm like, next month? Are you serious? Yeah. I said, do you know what you're going to do? We just feel God calling us. All the details are not worked out. And, and I don't know about you, but I want guarantees. Anybody with me? I want guarantees. Before I get there, you tell me what I'm going to do. You give me a job that pays and a place to live. I want to guarantee this is going to work out. I'm going to be happy. But what this guy was doing kind of seems kind of Ruth-like. Ruth didn't have guarantees. I mean, what's, what's the mother-in-law going to offer her? Nothing plus suffering. Doesn't this like a guarantee? God's been teaching me this week about faith, and I have not been liking it. He's been just beating me and convicting me and challenging me about my lack of faith. I can't believe it. It, it all started last Sunday. I keep telling the story this week because it really affects me. And it, it's, it affects me in a weird way. And I can't explain it. I'm just weird. But my favorite preacher, he resigned. Oh, my. my favorite preacher is Francis Chan, pastor of Cornerstone Church, Simi Valley. You may know him from the book Crazy Love and Forgotten God. But last Sunday, he stood up in front of his church a church that he planted 16 years ago and he resigned and not because of moral failings he stands up and he keeps talking about this radical call of God on his life and I keep waiting for him to tell me what it is and he's like I don't really know he doesn't know he, he, he just believes that God wants him to live in a big city and minister there and he doesn't even know what city. Think about this. To me, it's a big deal because he, he's pastoring this huge church that he planted. Their church plants other churches. They care for the poor. They ex 
they sought the extent of reign of Christ around the world. They have healthy elders. The congregation is ready to go wherever he leads. It seems like the ideal situation for him, and it doesn't make much sense for him to leave, but he stands up and he says, I'm leaving because I have a radical call of God on my life. And you get what? His, his wife agrees. She's got it too. They're both of them talking about this radical call. And I'm like, I'm like listening to this and I go, are you kidding me? You don't know where you're going. You're leaving what you know you're moving. What, what are you doing? You've got to have guarantees. You've got to have it all figured out. You've got to know. And I've just been a mess recently. I've not been trusting God feels like with, with nothing. I've been struggling, and I got, I got four kids. Lord willing, I'm going to have some more one day. And I'm thinking, oh, how am I going to take care of these kids? They're expensive. <laughs> I want to get them going through school and then through college, and I want to get this all figured out. And I'm going, ah, I can't afford this. And then, you know, our, our, it's, it's that time of year. It happens every year. We have these elder meetings, and we're trying to set the budget for the church. And all the elders are calm. They're, they're walking in faith, and I'm over there hyperventilating. Oh, boy. Oh, we can't do that. Oh. And they're all looking at me like, what is your deal? This past Tuesday, one of the elders just gently rebuked me for my lack of faith. I was like, where did my radical faith go? I want guarantees in following Jesus. And if I don't get them, I'm going back with Orpah. But that is so wrong. The faith modeled by Ruth is radical. And it's one to imitate. And behind it is a radical call of God. And we look out and we're like, there, I don't see very many guarantees. But I go back to God. He's sovereign, he's in control, he's working for my, my good, and he loves me. Okay, he's worthy. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to step out. And maybe you're at that point this morning where you're like, you have tension, and you want to step out and trust him. So maybe you don't have words to express that. So what we're going to do, we're going to sing a song. And the song is going to give you words that you need to express what you really feel inside. That you really do want to step out, but you don't have words to express it. We're going to sing this song. If the worship team can come up, I'm going to kind of show you the words. Can I do, can I do that? Look at that last song, those words. Let me show you the first part. It says, take my heart, I lay it down. At the feet of you who's crowned. You want to do that this morning? Say, God, here's my heart. I'm, I'm done with it. Take my life. I'm letting go. Oh, really? Really? You're letting go? I lift it up to you who's thrown. Let's go to the next one. I will worship you, Lord. Only you, Lord. When we're not just talking about singing. We're talking about our whole life worshiping the Lord every era. I, I will bow down before you, only you, Lord. Let's, let's go to the next one. Take my fret. Oh, you want to get rid of your fret? I do. Take my fret. Take my fear. I want to get rid of that too. All I have, I'm leaving here. Like, you can just leave it right here. We'll clean up. Leave it right here. Be all my hopes. 
Be all my dreams. Be all my delights. Be my everything. And back again to the course. And I'll worship you, Lord. Only you, Lord. And I will bow down before you. Only you, Lord. That, that's the way we're going we're gonna to sing right now. Make that your prayer. And I told you last week, you can go on the sides where it's carpet. If you really do want to bow down, you want to pray, you want to get on your knees, prostrate, whatever. Just prostrate yourself before God and just bow before him in, in a form of just total, complete submission. Because there's a call of God on your life. So let this be a prayer right now. Let this be a prayer to God. So let's all stand up. Let's all stand up and worship. And if you want to kneel, go to the side, whatever you want to do. Let's just take this as a prayer to the Lord as we worship him.